Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Uh, Romans chapter 8. I invite you to turn there, and uh, we're going to be heading into a new section in Romans. Um, and I just want to make sure I got this all right. Romans chapter 8. If you're visiting with us, uh, we're glad you're here. I notice there are some new faces, and uh, our prayer is one that you would be able to connect to people um, that are around you, and maybe even this morning. Um, and know what that is, community, and having relationships, um, but also be able to connect with God. And so we're glad you're here, and our prayer is that this would end up becoming your, your church home if God's leading you here. So, but Romans chapter 8, uh, let me pray as we begin, and uh, we'll just ask God's, uh, Him to lead this time. Lord, um, I thank you, one, for the stories that we heard from the team. Lord, it, uh, it just proves again you're, you're still moving. You're still using us. You're still talking to us. You're still working power through us. You're still healing. You still love people. You're still rescuing people. This morning, would you, hearing those stories, would you continue to do those things here like you've been doing? Lord, we're so weak. We, we don't even have the want to. We don't even have that. You give us that. So Holy Spirit, would you take control of us yet again this morning? To take control of this, this campus, every person in this campus. Would you speak to us and give us the thoughts that we need to be thinking? Would you give us, Lord, the comfort that we may need? Lord, the, the direction, the insight, I don't know. You're good at it. We're here, God. We've come to meet with you. And more than anything, to hear from you. Just lead this time. Amen. So there was this uh, guy walking up to a baseball game, and uh, there was a kid on the bench, and the rest of his team was out there in the outfield, and he was on the bench. Um, and uh, the, the guy came up to him and said, hey, man, what's the score of the game? A little, little peewee baseball. And the kid's like, oh, it's 18 to nothing. And, and the guy's like, oh, that's awful. You must be discouraged. And he goes, why? It's just the first inning. Wouldn't it be something to, to have the perspective of a child who's never been defeated on everything? Like, the kid's like, obviously has never been mercied out in a baseball game. Probably his first game. They have a mercy rule because the suffering is so awful, right? Like, 18 to nothing, it can get a whole lot worse. I've done peewee. I know what happens. And then the parents are over like, you know, let my people go. <laughs> the kid doesn't know that it could be 100 to nothing before the first inning finally over. They stop games because of that. But wouldn't it be amazing to have that perspective? 
See, the kid had hope. It's interesting. He had hope in a possibility. You often think of what you hope in, and, and is it substantial or is it not? Is it something that's a possibility or is it something that's even stronger than that? And as we talk about hope, Paul's moving into a section where it's about hope. Chapter 8, verse 18 through the end of 39, Paul shifts the conversation from the struggle of obedience and, and overcoming and winning and, and starting to live for Christ and, and for him and the, how the Holy Spirit comes and gives us the ability to live and obey and, and to follow perfectly. The Holy Spirit does that in us, even does the work. We don't even have the ability to do that, and the Holy Spirit gives us that strength and power. And then he shifts from this whole idea of, I want to live for Christ, to then this, and, and that thing of, of God saying, hey, look, there, there's this whole idea of righteousness. I want you to live, and, and this is how it do, goes. And, and now he shifts subjects and says, well, how do we live when it's suffering? And he starts to pull in this whole whole subject of, of what does it look like for a person who loves Jesus to live and walk through suffering. And it's very clear. He shifts subjects. And he starts to, in verse 17, and we talked about that last week, he says, if we become united with Christ in his sufferings, we also shall be in his glory. And he, he starts to drop it right there. And then in the next verse, verse 18, he goes on and he starts to say this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He goes on to say, then the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hopes that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved but hope that's seen is no hope at all who hopes for what they already have but if we hope for what we have not seen we wait for it patiently or if we hope for what we do not yet have we wait for it patiently paul talks about suffering and he brings in, as he starts to talk about this, he frames suffering. And, and if you're, you're new to Christianity, you may, have, you may not even have a Bible. You may not even understand. There's all kinds of words he says here, and it may not make sense to you. You have to understand, Paul's this guy who grew up in the synagogue. And, and he, he's a Jew, grew up with this heritage. And so he's, he's been instructed with the, the Bible, what we would call the Old Testament. And specifically, the, the beginning of the Bible, the first book, like if you would open the Bible, you'd find the first book. It's called Genesis. It's literally translated from the Hebrew, in the beginning. We say Genesis, that's in the beginning. It actually is from Latin to Greek to Hebrew, but that's what it means. And in the beginning, if you read the first two chapters, you see that God creates this world. 
creates everything into it, speaks, and this world comes into existence. And, and you might say, you actually believe that? I, I do, I do. And as I look at science, and many of us in this room look at science, we would say science corroborates it. And he goes on to create men and women, and, and the first two, male, female, is Adam and Eve, and, and he gives them the, the earth and says, hey, I want you to, to rule over this. I want you to steward this, as it were. It's a better, better concept than just rule, because rule comes with all kinds of bad goods, but steward is take care of that which you've been entrusted. And he gives them this heart that loves. And if it's, it's true love, right? If we're really free to love, it means we're going to be free to choose not to love. And he gives free will. And he puts them out there in front of them. Will you choose to love me or will you not choose to love me? And, and the command, one of the commands is, hey, don't eat from this tree. And they want this tree. And they're deceived into thinking, if you eat from this tree, you can become like God. And they go, I really like that a lot. And so they eat from the tree. And it breaks relationship with God. They don't trust God's love. They don't trust that he actually has their best interest in mind. And so they eat from it. And it breaks relationship, and it breaks God's law, and God comes, and he, he does this. And in the third chapter of Genesis, he comes and he says, look, there's a judgment that now comes. There's consequences to what you've done, and these are the consequences. And they didn't do this just on their own. Satan came and tempted them, and there's that, that battle right there that already began. And so God says to Satan, Cursed are you above the livestock out of all the wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's this curse of you will now be at war with humanity. It's going to be awful. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Bearing with pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And he brings this judgment of saying, there, "There's going to be so much pain in this in this moment when it should be incredibly filled with joy and life, and it is. But there's there's this intense pain, which ought not to have ever been. And then there's this introduction of conflict in the marriage." There's going to be conflict in this marriage, in your marriage, and in the marriages to come, which should never have been. And he goes on and he says to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. Though, though pain, through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken for dust you are, and dust you will return. So Paul brings us into this because he says, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own, but by the will of the one who subjected to it. That's what he's referring to right now. He's saying, hey, look, this started a long time ago. This idea of suffering has been a part of what you would say is not only creation, but humanity. It's been a part of us all along. All of creation was swept into it. 
Creation was subjected to frustration. We were. And, and it wasn't their choice. It came through Adam and Eve. Paul literally calls this curse a, a bondage to decay. I mean, there's all kinds of metaphors you could go with decay, but you think about what was perfect, and it just keeps decaying, falling apart. The movement towards death. You think about all the beauty, the imagination, the complexity, the power, and in one decision, it's cursed, tainted, destined to decay. Not only that, it's brought a groaning, right? The pains of childbirth, it's, it, it's a resting metaphor, like, wow. It's in distress, it's groaning. And those of you women who've given birth, you know this groaning. Those of you who've been in a room when a woman is giving birth, you know that. And we see this play out on the massive scale when you're talking about just creation itself. We, we see hurricanes, we see tornadoes, we see volcanoes, we see earthquakes, and, and it reflects a creation cursed, right? It reflects this earth that has been, uh, is groaning, and it's not the way it should have been. And, and we see the conflict that, you know, he says, you know, we're going to wrestle and be in conflict with the land. You see that conflict that's happening even as we as humans at how we treat our own planet, how we treat this creation. We destroy this thing. We see species that go extinct. We see coral reefs die. We see smog in the skies. People leading to literally wear breather, you know, the breathing mass because the smog's so bad. We'll drop nuclear bombs on this planet. We'll, we'll bomb the snot out of places, right? We'll, our, we'll put so much garbage in our rivers, it'll literally catch fire. Right? Hashtag Cuyahoga. Right? That's, that is evidence of the curse. And not only that, you're going to get up tomorrow, many of you, and have to go to work. And it's, we call it the grind. Right? We call it the meat grinder. We call it whatever. But there's metaphors of, I don't want to do this. I hate work. I don't like work. It was something that was actually supposed to be so fulfilling. Part of our fabric and calling, not identity, but God said, go steward and go and subdue the earth. And it's something that we resent and it's something that even attacks us. Pain and toil. And, and those are just some of the things, Right? Uh, and, and that's just us and humanity, creation, and, and all these things. And we've seen all of it play out in our lives throughout the centuries as well. And if you go down a few more verses in that story in Genesis, God kicks them out of the garden. Why? Because the, the tree was there and the presence of God is there. And there's, there's just no longer any walking in the garden with God. They're just separated. Another curse. Live on our own and isolated and weak and stripped of life. 
And then Paul goes on, he actually mentions the sufferings of Christ. He mentioned that in verse 17, which if you, if you start following Christ, that, that brings a whole other avenue or area of suffering because he says, hey, this world's going to hate you. Don't try to understand it because you won't understand it. It's just evil and demonic. It doesn't make sense, but they're going to hate you because they hated me. And we, I mean, we just heard a story, illogical. Guy starts to follow Christ, and they want to kill him. It happens, it doesn't happen in here in America like that, but it happens here. And suffering of following Christ, we do it long enough, you're going to encounter it. No one escapes it. And it says something so interesting. It says creation groans. Creation is growing. It's never meant for it. And not only that, we groan. We groan because we have the Spirit. And when you have the Spirit of God, all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, it's what Jake said, that quote about C.S. Lewis. Wait a minute. There's something way better. And when you start to taste something way better, it starts to frame what is way worse. And all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, if, if that really is possible, what am I doing here? And when is this going to stop? And why is that still going on? Because I, I know what could be when you have the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden you have this encounter with with real peace, with real love, with real joy, with real meaning, and you go, and I go, and, and this, this, this knowing in us, right? The Spirit's in us, and he's saying to us, this is what heaven is like. No one in this life escapes suffering. No one. You know, over the years, uh, we do this uh, thing. I, I've led people to do, uh, it's a, a practice. It's called a suffograph or a little tool thing that we use. The suffograph is simply charting the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in your life and seeing what patterns emerge and doing it on a graph kind of thing. And, uh, and it's one thing to share. It's another thing to see it on paper. And uh, what often happens is people go, Wow. I had no idea, because there's patterns that emerge. And some people go, yeah, that's about what I thought. What's interesting is you, you can't, everybody's story is different. And there's, there's times that I, we typically do it with people that, you know, are in their late 20s and, you know, all the way up into their 50s is what we've seen. And it's just, uh, it, it's one of those tragic moments where, when you see someone whose story, zero, if zero is the baseline, plus 10 is like, wee, everything is awesome, right? And then negative 10 is like, this is the most painful thing ever. So that's how you look at this thing, right? Zero is in the middle. It's one of the saddest things to, to watch people come out of the gate, and it's a 10 at birth. And it's a 10 at three years old and a 10 at five years old and a 10 at... How, how in the world does a child frame suffering? As an adult, they're saying, that's a 10. I know that's a 10. And a child has no framework for a 10. 
And it, what I think is so amazing is other people whose story goes, and, and, and they have no control over this as a child. You just don't. It's, it's just how this all works out. And they don't get a 10 until their, their 20s, maybe their 30s, they don't hit a 10. And they know they've been blessed. And it wasn't anything of their doing. But I've yet to have a person come through our time that hasn't had a 10. And the older you get, the more 10s you get. It just is. And when you go through a 10, you just don't go through a 10. And, and what happens is you can chart it like this, but the problem is the 10s keep stretching even as you're going up here, right? You don't leave the 10s behind in one sense. They're still with you. They leave a mark on you. And, and the 10s don't reflect, especially if it happens here and then you've got another high point right here, which can happen in life. You're, you're, you're in the middle of all these contradictions of how am I at a 10 here and yet I'm also at an 8 or a 9 or a 10 here all at once. I don't understand those things. You ever had those things? You can't explain it. You know, when, when we started this passage, um, I was about ready to take my glasses off. <laughs> One of those glasses off moments. Um, I had no idea when we started Romans that I would be at this passage and I would be at this passage in this particular time of my life. Um, I know many of you have seen um, the prayer requests that have gone out about my dad, um, who at this point, uh, unless the God heals him, he has non-curable pancreatic cancer. And um, uh, that's a 10, right? I don't know what to do with it. I mean, it's just, I know what to do with it, and yet, and on the other hand, my brother, who's been estranged from our family for 20 years, is back last April, and he's like my brother. I don't know what to do with that. Like, I'm a 10, and I'm a 10. And some of you are groaning. And, and that's what Paul says. We groan. We groan. We were never meant for this. And our souls groan. And what Paul says here is a couple things. First of all, he says this. It's okay to groan. You're not a lesser Christian for groaning. He never says that here. In fact, we'll look at it next week. But the Spirit groans with us doesn't mean when we start to follow Christ that we shut off emotions and just pull up your bootstraps, Christian, come on, get in the game, suck it up. It's like, what? We groan, but we don't groan without hope. Paul says, we hope, we hope. He says, I consider that our sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We hope. We hope. We consider. We reckon. We look at and say, this is foundational. Our present sufferings are not 
worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And if you think right now your suffering is worse than heaven, you've got to hear God on this. It's not. It's not even close. And it may be a 10, but it's not close to what you will experience in heaven. And it's still a 10, and it can be a 10 the rest of your life. But it's not worth comparing. Do not lose hope in that. In hope, the creation itself will be liberated. Creation has a hope, and it's rooted in this. It's rooted in our redemption and in that moment when God will reveal who his children are. And whether that's when he comes back or whether that's when, if we die before he comes back, we're with him and we get to see it before that return. That redemption and, and that deposit, the Holy Spirit says, this is who you really are. Wait till you see it for real. And it's in here and we know it. And he says, we groan. We have the first fruits. We know what's coming because we have it now. And we're waiting for that moment when it will be finalized. It's the yes, but not yet. Yes, but not yet. And he says, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And if you are in the middle of, uh, of suffering and you're in the middle of a 10 and you're in the middle of a 5, I, I remember looking at one suffograph and I can't remember, I've seen a lot of them, but I remember one suffograph that stretched for like, I think it was almost 10 years below the line. The person never got above the line. There's some of you that haven't been above the line for years. Don't lose hope. Do not lose hope. The future glory is better. Wait for it. Wait for it. Set it in your heart. Set it in your heart and say, I know my hope. I know where it is. And I don't care how long the suffering is. I know my hope and it won't be shaken. It won't be. The famous philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, or Sartre, I don't know how you say it, um, philosophers could go, Norm's not over there, Sartre, it was right, Norm's my usage committee checker. Um, famous atheist, philosopher, railed against any idea of absolutes, any idea of God, always railed against it. He's in the last month of his life, and someone was there with him, and he found himself wrestling against despair. And he said, I will die with hope. But the problem is, and he knew it, and he said it the following sentence. He says, I will die with hope. And in despair, he said, but the problem is hope needs a foundation. And I have no foundation. He had no foundation. Sartre died with despair filled with despair. See, that little kid who, who was hoping, his hope was in a possibility. We don't hope in possibilities here. We don't deal with that. We deal in promises. 
And God gave us a promise, and the promise is going to come real. Why? Because the foundation it's built on is Christ and his word. That's why we hope. We don't create this hope. We hope because it's real. And this hope says these things. It says, be patient. Be patient. I love hanging around older saints. People who have walked with God through multiple tens for years. I love hanging around them. They've learned patience, and they've learned the power of this promise. I think it's the, I, I, you know, sometimes, uh, this is a true confession, um, you know, a lot of my, uh, my generation and younger, you know, you don't listen to the music of the old, older generation or whatever. I love listening, this is true confessions, I love listening to Bill Gaither and the homecoming thing. All right? <laughs> I got peeps. You know why? Because it's all these older saints singing about heaven. And sometimes we need to borrow their faith. Does that make sense? Sometimes it's just, I don't, I don't know. I, it's hard. I'm groaning. I don't know how. And, and you see them. And it's their faith that pulls you through. And you hear their stories and you see their testimony and you go, thanks God. I need that song. And I don't care if it's Southern Gospel or not. <laughs> so good. And I'm not saying we're going to become a Southern Gospel church. I don't know if Jake's around here or not. Oh. I've lost my notes. Um, we're, we're, invite the team to come up. We're just going to go into a time of singing. You know, actually, Jesus says this earth is going to pass away. He's going to bring a new earth. He's going to start over. New heaven, new earth. There won't be any more of this curse. But he said, there's three things outside of the human soul. There's three things that are going to remain. Faith. Hope. Love. And what do we hope for? Jesus has said this about your future. If you follow him. And for those of you who, who are still trying to figure this out. This, this is what God would have for you. It's what we were created for. 
the Bible teaches us that when we die physically, immediately you are with Jesus. You are face to face with the most powerful, loving being in the universe. Jesus teaches us that one day he's going to come for those who haven't passed away and he's going to bring them and sweep them up with himself. He says there's going to be a final battle and there will be a tombstone that says, here's Satan, settled, done, never to come back again, judged forever. We will have bodies like Christ. We will be in his presence. The glory Paul talks about here, the glory, it means the heaviness. It's weighty. It's, it's big. We get the glory of the Lord. We're glorified. We share in his glory. It's, it's such a magnificent, incredible glory. There was a time when, when three disciples saw the glory of Jesus. They fell down on their faces. They couldn't move until it was all over because it was so bright. And that was a glimpse. That wasn't his full glory. And they wanted to stay there. They wanted to build houses and never leave. Who cares? What else could happen? I have seen the glory and I never want to leave it. That kind of glory will be yours forever. You will feel and know this is what I was created for. This is who I am. This is my name. Jesus taught us there will never be any more suffering. You and I will be free. There will never be any more negative tense. There, there will just never be. No more growing. No more temptation. No more failings. No more broken bodies. No more broken minds. No more broken families. No more broken hearts. Free from it all. That is our hope. And we wait for it patiently.